Well, good morning, and good morning to our viewers online. We are continuing with our series on breakthrough today, and uh, I want to begin this morning by telling you a little bit about my grandmother. Um, they're going to put uh, three pictures up of my grandmother. Uh, the first is of her as a young woman. She's pretty, right? Um, the second is a picture of her when I was a little boy. Yeah, I'm sitting there in her, in her lap. That's my mom next to her and my grandfather next to her. Uh, that's probably taken about 1975, 76. You can tell by our clothes. <laughs> uh, the last picture is uh, one of my favorites of her. She's probably in her 70s there. Um, so, we always called her Mom-Mom, M-O-M-O-M. That's what she wanted us to call her, Mom-Mom. But her given name was Furby Woodall, and uh, her maiden name was Furby Lakey. So, that's P-H-U-R-B-Y, not with an F, like those talking toys from the 90s. Uh, you remember those? Me, Domo, you remember those things? Anyway, so my grandmother was born in West Virginia in 1919. Uh, she came from a large family. Her dad was a coal miner. Um, they were very poor growing up, like Appalachian poor. Uh, she married a Navy man, a corpsman, which is like a medic, and he eventually became uh, a master chief which is the highest rank you can achieve as an enlisted uh, person. In 1976, though, my grandfather unfortunately had a sudden heart attack and he died, 1976. And my grandmother never remarried. She lived to be 93, going home to be with the Lord in 2012. So my mother, her daughter, uh, was adopted at just a few days old. Apparently there had been multiple miscarriages and my grandparents eventually decided to adopt uh, an infant child. Now, I won't get into all the details, but needless to say, my grandmother uh, was in many ways our guardian angel. So she pinched pennies, she clipped coupons, and she lived extremely frugally, hardly ever spending any money on herself. Um, I told you before uh, how poor I was growing up. Well, my grandmother was always the one who came to our rescue financially. Uh, if our car was broken, she would pay to fix it. Uh, if we needed another car, like a new car, she would, she would get us one. If we needed a new washing machine, she would get us one. If we needed a new dryer, she would get us one. If we needed a major repair on the house, um, she would pay for it. If there was a utility bill that we couldn't pay, she paid for it. If we ran out of food, uh, she would often take us to the grocery store. When it came time for my sister and I to get braces, she paid for them. Right? That's because of my grandmother. 
Until I was 14, uh, we had never had a home of our own. We were usually living in cruddy apartments, sometimes in the hood. Like, I remember one year living in an all-black neighborhood, going to an all-black school, and the kids, like, ganging up on me after school and beating me up. But when I was 14, my grandmother bought us a house in a middle-class neighborhood. Literally, she bought us a house. Now, she didn't work. She was living off of my grandfather's Navy pension and a few investments that uh, he had made, but she definitely was not wealthy. But she maximized her savings through her frugality so she could help out whenever she could. Also, my parents uh, didn't take my sister and I to church. My grandmother did. Every week. That's where I started hearing the stories about Jesus. It's where I started learning about the Bible. So she absolutely was responsible for my sister and I eventually giving our lives to Jesus. My grandmother also volunteered uh, at a thrift store, the thrift store on on base, uh, at the Navy base, so she could get my sister and I, um, like, so we'd have first dibs at the clothing that came there. My grandmother also volunteered at our church, making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the homeless. She served as our church's wedding coordinator so she could make a little extra money and save that for a rainy day. When my grandmother passed, I served as the executor of her estate. And so I really got to see uh, inside her frugal financial habits. A lifetime of personal sacrifice so that she could be a blessing to us. Uh, In looking through her books, I saw that she tithed to her local church. And even in death, um, her inheritance made it possible for my wife and I to put a down payment so we could buy our first house. So she literally was blessing us beyond the grave. So talk about a life well lived. So this morning's message is breakthrough of true life. We're going to discover today that true life is really only found through humility, through servant leadership, and through sacrificial love. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom of God that we can only gain our life by losing it. If someone wants to be first, he must be the servant of all. And whoever wants to be a leader must first be a servant. So this is the paradox and the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. So I want to share a few scriptures with you that illustrate this principle. I always like to go back to the word. Let's see what the word has to say. Uh, So the first one, you just heard part of it. That's Mark 8. I'll be reading 34 through 38. It says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If anything worth, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Mark 9, 33-35 says, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer, because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then a third scripture, Mark 10, 42 to 45 says, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to talk about power for a moment. Power. In this world, power is associated with strength and control and domination. Even when we think of God's power, we tend to think of it through that lens. God doing miracles, raising the dead, flooding the earth, that sort of thing. The kingdom of God, however, is an upside-down kingdom. It's one of the paradoxical truths of the Christian faith, that the power of God is perfected in our weakness. I thought it was a funny coincidence that we chose the same scripture uh, as the scripture prayed over our children. As a follower of Jesus, the apostle Paul learned that God's strength was displayed more in his moments of weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10 says, Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So from God's point of view, his power is made perfect in our weakness. It is the upside-down kingdom. It is the upside-down kingdom that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5 when he says that the blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the merciful, the persecuted. So as I said a couple weeks ago, I firmly believe that one of the primary purposes God has for us in this life is that we would come to the end of ourselves, we would fall at the foot of the cross and live in utter dependency on him. But that's really the opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us that we should be independent. The world tells us that we should be self-reliant. For many of us, um, asking for help or needing support means that we're admitting defeat, right? We think we don't need anyone but ourselves. We usually try to figure it out first by ourselves. And then if that doesn't work, reluctantly, 
we might ask someone else for help. And really, if nothing's working, right, we're at the end of our rope, then we'll pray and ask God. For most of us, weakness is not something we want to display. We fall into the belief that if we admit that there's something that we can't do ourselves, that we must be failures, that something must be wrong with us. One of the greatest struggles I think we all face is just admitting, just authentically, transparently, how weak we are. What I'm talking about is the pathway to humility. Realizing every day our absolute need for the Lord. If we're really honest, uh, we don't want to admit that we want to uh, rely on anything, to be dependent on anything. The world tells us the weakness is a defect. Uh, weakness, dependency, trust, all of those things uh, the world tells us is for children. But that's why they're important, because we are children children of God. Several years ago, I led a, a small group um, in downtown Kansas City, urban area, um, for the homeless. I did that for about a year, and I learned a lot. I was surprised to discover how many of these homeless people had a deep trust and love for the Lord. I mean, yeah, there are probably some who needed to be on medication. Uh, but if I'm really honest, like really honest, uh, there were several there who had a deeper, more personal relationship with the Lord than me. And I'm a pastor. In listening to them talk and pray, I was taken aback sometimes by how close they were with the Lord. I was surprised to discover, too, how much scripture they knew. Like, most of them could just quote scripture all day long. The presence of the Lord was thick in those meetings. And almost every week, someone came to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, almost every week. So it's funny, I went downtown to try to bring Jesus to the poor... And I discovered Jesus in the poor. Which makes sense because his power is made perfect. It works best in our weakness. So we should boast all the more about our weakness so that Christ's power can work through us. So confession. I'm 49. And if you had met me when I was a young man, you would have seen how arrogant I was. Some of that was just the arrogance of youth. Uh, some of it was probably overcompensating for being insecure about the poor, dysfunctional family that I came from. Some of it was from being a bit of an overachiever. Uh, when you're an overachiever, you can tend to set very high standards for yourself, uh, which is great, Except then it's so easy to start coming across as condescending and judgmental and a know-it-all. 
making people feel like they don't measure up, that somehow you're better than them. So I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I remember coming back home and my mother saying this to me. She said, you think you're so much better than us using all those big words to make yourself look smart. And back then, in my 23-year-old brain, uh, I was like, well, literally. <laughs> Ugly pride right there, all over me. I wasn't any better than my mom. Even though we were poor and uh, my parents couldn't pay for it, God, by his grace, made it possible for me to go to college. That was all grace. I didn't deserve it. God has had me on a journey of coming to the end of myself, of learning humility, and learning to love. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, God sends no one away except those who are full of themselves. The pathway is the pathway of humility. Humility leads to vulnerability, leads to authenticity. His power is made perfect in weakness. I've had several uh, friends and family members um, who have been sober for a long time. They've been in AA, uh, some of them for decades. And they'll tell you that the first step in AA is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. So like that, our first step with God is coming to the end of ourselves and realizing our absolute need for him. The pathway of humility leading to vulnerability, leading to authenticity, it is the pathway of learning how to love, like really love. When we hear Jesus say that we can only gain true life by losing it, or that if someone wants to be first, they must be the servant of all, or that whoever wants to be a leader must first be a servant, the underlying motivator of all three of these things is love. It is love that compels us to serve. It is love that compels us to give. It is love that compels us to make sacrifices for someone else. And when I say love, I have to clarify. I'm not talking about uh, in eros. It's a Greek word for love. It's in the Bible, eros, love. Uh, the love that grasps, the love that desires, that seeks possession and pleasure for its own sake. I'm talking about agape love, the self-giving love that empties itself. It gives of itself for the sake of another. And the paradox of this kind of love is that it always fulfills itself by emptying itself. It's the new math of Christianity we add by subtracting. We multiply by dividing. Jesus invites us to live our lives as his disciples by spending our time, our energies, and our resources on behalf of others and on behalf of the kingdom of God. 
He invites us to find life, security, and greatness the way he did through a paradoxical path of losing, of leaving, and of serving. So I want to give you a few examples of what this looks like. What does this look like? It's like, okay, what does this look like, like practically? Here are some examples. So a group of people go to South America for a week and they build houses and they minister to children. And then they come back saying, we went down to give, but we received more than we ever gave. Here's another example. Someone wants to make friends, right? And so they volunteer to start and lead a small group. And maybe their initial motivation was selfish, but in the process, they develop a heart for helping people grow in the Lord. And then they find that they're growing more themselves than they ever did um, before they were ever leading a group. Here's another example. So a guy has spent his entire life working hard to move up the ladder become, to become financially successful, to become professionally respected. Um, but late, and lately, he's been achieving his goals, but he is realizing that he does not feel fulfilled. Someone invites him to church. He gives his life to Christ. He discovers a calling to ministry. He quits his job. His friends and coworkers think he's crazy. Some of them re even refer to him as a failure or a disappointment. But for some reason, this guy has never been more fulfilled or satisfied in his life. He loves seeing all the cool God stories of life transformation happening all around him. He finally realizes what God put him on this earth for. So here are some historical examples. I'll give you lots of examples so you can see what this looks like. Okay, so Francis, the son of a wealthy merchant, takes off all of his clothes in the middle of the, of the town. Literally, he is standing there buck naked. And he gives his clothes back to his, back to his father, his wealthy father. He gives up his family's wealth, his status, and he embraces a life of poverty and following Jesus. He becomes known as St. Francis of Assisi. And his impact is seen all over the world, literally to this day. There are hospitals, there are universities, there are charities all over the world impacting millions of lives because of this one man. Here's another. An 18-year-old Albanian girl senses a call to ministry, which she pursues. And at age 36... She experiences what she refers to as a call within a call to go and love on the poorest of the poor. And so she goes to Calcutta, uh, India, literally with nothing. No money, no support, no team of people. She took everything that she had and she went to Calcutta and she started an open air school for the children living in the slums. As she stepped out in faith, God provided for her financially, 
provided thousands of volunteers to help her. Decades later, she would win the Nobel Peace Prize. And of course, the person I'm talking about is Mother Teresa. One more example. This is modern day. A woman uh, who is now referred to as Mama Maggie Gobrin. I first heard Mama Maggie Gobrin speak at the Global Leadership Summit in 2011. She's sometimes referred to as the Mother Teresa of Cairo. She had been the daughter of an upper middle class family in Cairo. Her family was Coptic Orthodox Christian. In her mid-30s, Mama Maggie quit her university teaching position. She gave up her fashionable clothes, she gave up her fashionable lifestyle, and she dedicated herself to loving on and serving the children in the slums and in the garbage areas of Egypt. She ended up starting a charitable organization called Stevens Children, which to this day uh, serves about 32,000 families a year. She has been nominated several times for the Nobel Peace Prize. So I want to show you a short clip um, from that talk that I heard in 2011 at the Global Leadership Summit. It's only about three minutes long or so. But I, I, I want you to see her humility, her servant heart, her sacrificial love um, just, just ooze out of her. The love of Christ just radiates off of her. So let's take a look. As the youngest daughter of a doctor, I enjoyed affluent lifestyle. God has blessed me so much. I always like to have music, singing, playing, sports, traveling to Europe every year to get the best fashion dress, wearing jewelry. And I really always like to be elegant. And later, I found to be elegant comes from inside. I was teaching at the American University in Cairo. <clears throat> I had the best students, the smartest in the whole country. When God wanted to promote me, he said, leave the best, the smartest, and go to the poorest to the poor. At that moment, I couldn't believe I'm the least. I'm the last one who could fit. Because I'm the one who's forgiven much, but loves so little. I thought I'm so disappointing to God. How come he chose someone like me? With God's grace, I left everything. 
and I found him shining, waiting for me with a crown of love. Do you know the poor children? They are hungry, hungry every day, hungry every meal, hungry every hour. They are hungry for bread, but hungry for love and acceptance. When one has nothing, God becomes everything. When I touch a poor child, I'm touching Jesus. When I listen to a poor child, I'm listening to God's heart beating for all the humanity. We don't choose where to be born, but we do choose either to be sinners or saints, to be nobody or heroes. If you want to be a hero, do what God wants you to do. So this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. We can only gain life, true life, by losing it. And if someone wants to be first, he must be the servant of all. And whoever wants to be a leader must first be a servant. Humility, servant leadership, sacrificial love. These are the hallmarks of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So this week, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I'm all about like, okay, moving it from here to here, right? I've met a lot of people who spent a lot of years in church, and they can tell me a lot of things. Um, but it's not about information. It's about transformation, okay? Baby steps. One baby step this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is one baby step you can take this week. Um, with regard to this. So here are some ideas. I've got, I've got five ideas. Um, one, you can give your time. You can volunteer your time to help someone who has a need. So your time. Two, you can serve someone or give to someone, but do it in secret without taking any credit or letting anyone know. Okay? Number three, you can give the gift of your attention. Show love by paying close attention to someone, really listening to them, even though it might be hard. Giving the gift of your presence, your attention. Number four, give someone encouragement, an encouraging word, a smile, a hug. Let them know specifically what a blessing they are to you. Let them know um, how much you love them. It's funny, like even 10 years ago, I struggled to just tell people that I love them. And it was being around people who um, did that so freely I'm like, I want that. I want this not to be difficult anymore. I want to be able to tell my brother or sister in Christ 
that I love them and mean it. And uh, it's taken me about 10 years <laughs> to get to the point. So if I walk up to you and I hug you and I say I love you, uh, I mean it. But no, that's, that's the fruit of a 10-year <laughs> journey. Because, uh, you know, I grew up in a home where that, we didn't say those kinds of things. I mean, it was, it was messed up. So um, we want to love one another. We want to say it. We want to show it. Okay, so that was four. Number five, this, this is an advanced step, okay? So if the Lord, you know, prompts you to do this, it's going to be an advanced step. So if you are in a conflict with someone, even if you are right, relinquish your right to justify yourself or explain yourself or show why you are right. Just let it go. Release it. Okay, that's a hard one. So the more we practice humility, servanthood, sacrificial love, uh, even if we're not feeling it, right, God will use that as an outside-in process to change us, right? You're not, you don't wait till you feel it. You do it out of obedience. That's not a word that we like to hear a lot, obedience, um, but it was pretty important to Jesus, this word obedience. Literally, the last thing he said before he ascended, <laughs> ascended to heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, right, all that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, right? So many of these things we absolutely don't feel like doing in the moment. Like giving up your right to justify yourself or defend yourself or explain yourself or going and serving someone in secret and telling no one, right? Or forcing yourself to really, really be present and to listen to the person in front of you even when everything in your body wants to just like Walk off and do something else. Okay? But in the process, in this outside-in process, uh, God will use this to soften our hearts, to humble us, and to transform us to become more like him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you don't give up on us. God, help us to think less often of ourselves so we can have more of you. Show us, Lord, how to be more encouraging, more of a servant, and how to love sacrificially. God, thank you that your power works best in our weakness. God, may we continue to grow in our ability to love both you and others and even those who are hard to love. I pray this in Jesus' name.